Welcome to Animals in Europe, a podcast presented by Eurogroup for Animals, the animal advocacy organization uniting members across Europe and beyond. Join us as we discuss current affairs affecting animals along with expert special guests. My name is Reinike Hameliers and I'm the CEO of Eurogroup for Animals. Today we are talking to Alexandra Terzieva from Compassion World Farming about the recent big success of the European Citizens Initiative and the KCH. 30 June was a historic day for farm animals in the EU. The European Commission responded positively to the ECI's demand and committed to enact a ban on cages by 2027. We at Compassion World Farming has be, have been fighting uh, for this for many, many years. It was established over 50, year, 50 years ago with one mission to end factory farming. Cages is clearly one of the symbols of factory farming and it is an ind- indispensable part of the process of changing the way we farm. So um, let's hope that this will start transforming the system very fast and very soon we're going to reach to farming methods that are um, not exploiting animals and that will bring for healthier and more sustainable diets. Hello, Alexandra. How are you today? Hi, Renike. I'm very good. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm very good. We're so happy to have you today on our podcast after the incredible result last week. Uh, How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling great. I was thrilled when I heard the news. It was such an amazing news. Um, it's We worked for this for so many years and to, to see how your hard work is paying off is incredibly rewarding. So um, I'm yeah, very happy, I need to admit. You're still on a high. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. For sure. Me too, me too. It was one of the best news for farmed animals um, in decades, uh, I would say. So maybe let's start from the beginning. Can you explain to the listeners, Alexandra, what is an ECI, a European Citizens Initiative, and why does it matter? Yeah, well, um, so to start basically with um, as ECI, um, we chose this as a tool to drive change because this is more than just a petition. Um, I'm sure you institutions receive many, many petitions all the time, um, but clearly not all of them are being responded to. So we wanted something to stand out with, something more impactful. And that's why we chose to go for the European Citizens Initiative. So basically, this tool requires you to go over 1 million signatures and surpass a certain threshold in over seven countries. So this means that um, these signatures are collected and then they're sent to member states who verify them to make sure everything is right. And what happened is that we ended up collecting 1.4 million signatures, which is way beyond the minimum. And we also surpassed the minimum threshold in 18 member states instead of the seven that were the required. And so basically this meant that, um, you know, we, we had big success just with, in terms of the signatures collected. Um, this was the highest number ever achieved for any European citizens initiative uh, for the number of countries um, where we surpassed the threshold. And so it was also the first successful initiative for farmed animals. That's amazing. And Alexandra, it was also because, you know, many of these initiatives have been registered, like 75, I believe, in total, but only six have been successful. How come that this is such 
a difficult uh, method. Yeah, it is. It is quite difficult, to be honest. And um, I actually personal, uh, personally had some concerns whether uh, this as a tool would be, um, you know, very useful and good. Um, because, for example, in Bulgaria, where I, where I come from, um, the national legislation that transposes the rules, the European rules for how the European citizen, citizens initiatives should roll out, require that when you sign, you have to give your ID number. However, most people are skeptical about this. They don't want to give their data. They don't want to give their ID number. They don't want to, you know, expose to is uh, give too much information, even if they if, even if it's a secure site. I mean, we had in Bulgaria a big scandal re regarding, um, for example, I mean, uh, regarding data leaks, and people were really worried uh, because even a governmental website leaked data, um, very per you know personally sensitive data, um, and so you know people didn't want to do this, but nonetheless. Um, the NGOs in the network managed to to collect those signatures, and they managed to get even you know uh, surpass the minimum threshold. So um, it is. I mean, I had my doubts uh, because it, it is not an easy tool to to work with, but at the same time, um, it turned out to be very very impactful. So I think it was worth all the work. And clearly, a lot of uh, citizens uh, found, you know, farm animal welfare more important than possible uh, privacy uh, concerns. Because, um, Alexandra, why uh, is this ban on cages so desperately needed? And how many yeah. animals will benefit from this change? Yeah, uh, well, this is a serious issue. I mean, clearly, people pr wanted to share their um, their requests about uh, you know the change that changes needed for animals, because um, they know that cages cause tremendous suffering, and we have lots of scientific evidence for this, and we have many years of you know clear statements that this needs to change and something needs to be done about it. Um, we estimate we at Compassion World Farming estimate that about over actually three hundred million animals spend in Europe spend part or all of their lives in cages. These are cages, pens or stalls. This is a huge number. And all those animals suffer for most of their lives um, and, and they cannot perform most of their natural behaviors. And I, let me just give you a few examples. Um, for example, with egg-laying hens, they have the space of about an A4 sheet of paper. They cannot do things like dust bathing or wind flapping. Rabbits um, have a similarly tiny space and they cannot even stretch out fully or do not have enough space to even perform a single hop. With sows, the situation is even, you know, as bad or even worse uh, because female pigs um, spend almost half of their time every year inside crates and they cannot even turn around. So the situation is horrible. I mean, it is a very um, a difficult, um, you know, a difficult topic, and people do understand that it's an important topic and something that need and there's it, it needs there's something needs to be done about it. So clearly, um, it's, this touched many people, and and that's why I think they um, they signed the petition. I think also the cage is a symbol. Uh, of a broken, of a very cruel and unsustainable uh, system, right? Um, and yeah. Alexandra, why was the cage introduced? Well, uh, the cage was introduced many, many years ago um, in a way to, to make farming methods, let's say, more productive, more efficient. So um, 
um, this was uh, in response to um, this was done basically in response to certain uh, requirements because um, because of the needs at the time. However, the needs of our times are very different from what it was 50 or more than 50 years ago. Basically, now we need to uh, tackle other issues such as climate change and such as um, obesity, diabetes and other health related issues. Um, and technically, uh, all the all the you know the farming that has emerged out of out of this um, um, you know system that was created through the caged systems um, it needs to change to reflect this. And it's not just because of animals. Clearly, it's it's a horrible thing to happen to have animals kept in cages. But also, we need to change altogether our systems to make sure that basically we address the challenges that other challenges we face today. Um, and this means basically what by doing one thing, it's, you know, it's like buy one, get two free. Uh, you get you get to help the environment and you get to also help human health. So not just animals. So what you mean is that by abolishing the cage, the producers will also be forced to really reflect on the way they keep animals. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's not just about uh, the way we keep animals, but also the way we have, uh, we construct our food and farming systems. The Commission is uh, quite progressive in thinking forward and trying to change uh, our, you know, our systems to be more sustainable and more and better for our health, um, which is evident through um, their reflections in terms of the strategies in the farm to fork strategy, such as, and also the EU cancer plan. So, there is some movement in, on EU level that understands the problems that we face today and how these need to be addressed. And clearly, ending the cage is part of the solution. It's part of the solution, but we need, of course, uh, uh, much more. Um, now, uh, Alexandra, um, a, a huge number of signatures uh, was collected, but we have also seen other successful uh, ECIs. Um, which didn't lead to a positive uh, answer from uh, the Commission. So can you tell us a bit about, you know, this, this whole campaigning process? So we collected the signatures and then what did we do to really make a compelling case towards the Commission? Yeah, well, so um, it, clearly the, um, the work didn't stop with the signature collection because we submitted those uh, yeah 1.4 million signatures and then... Um, you know there was uh, a lot of uh, a lot of work in that culminated basically with the commission's decision so um we once the, the signatures were submitted to member states they had to verify them we had to chase the member states because there were significant delays so we had to follow up and make sure that they submit you know the the results to the commission uh, and then there were more delays because of covid um so they had to change the rules to give more times for the institutions and such so basically this whole thing whole thing meant that as a result, uh, we had a European Parliament discussion on the initiative, uh, initiative organized by the Agriculture Committee and the Petitions Committee, and that happened on 15th of April this year. And then shortly afterwards, uh, the Agriculture Committee voted on a resolution on the topic on the 21st of May. And then on the 10th of June, the Parliament adopted this resolution with an overwhelming result that was just spectacular. And um, short, very shortly afterwards, obviously, on the 30th of June, uh, the Commission made its final commitment to ban cages for final farmed animals. So um, the process was quite long, um, but um, it paid off, I think, because uh, we did have a fantastic result. 
Yeah, because, you know, when we handed uh, the signatures, there was still a lot of resistance, right? Um, yes. And in, you know, the one and a half uh, year that followed, we really managed to overcome that resistance. So how did we do that, Alexandra? Well, I think it's because this is, the movement was very strong and uh, the issue was very strong and people believed in this and um, clearly... I mean, there is a reason why um, why people were so convinced and, and um, you know, worked so hard about this topic. I mean, it's a very serious issue that needs to be dealt with. So, sure. Um, and and yeah. also we saw a lot of other stakeholders uh, speaking up, such as scientists and, and producers. What role did, yes. did they play throughout the campaign? Well, uh, we do understand that uh, their involvement was quite helpful in determining the Commission's decision as well as the response by the Parliament. Uh, we have heard on many occasions, including in speeches that the Commissioner has given, that uh, this was uh, you know, something that really stood out. And she repeatedly highlighted uh, those letters that she received and the, the stakeholders that were involved. And um, you know, th th this actually was uh, quite helpful in building up the case. Because um, it's one thing when just NGOs say something, and it's another thing when you you see the whole community of stakeholders from you know various backgrounds and countries support the call. And uh, Alexandra, what would you say are the most crucial ingredients of a successful uh, European citizenship in initiative? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a, a difficult question. Um, I would say the most uh, crucial thing is to have a very clear ask and to uh, fight for a cause that's really worth fighting because without that, you're going to get nowhere. Um, the other thing would be to uh, make sure that you work in a team with other NGOs, with other activists, with people and citizens to make sure that the whole movement, the whole social movement is mobilized and that people actually do produce a significant outcome and that, that you know that uh, that this makes a big 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 noise to make sure that this grabs attention uh, that grabs the polit politicians attention um, and another thing not to forget is to be flexible because uh, you know with covid we all had to change our ways and change our working methods so that was just one one of the many hurdles we had to face um, but uh, yes being flexible is also quite quite helpful Brilliant. And I think compared to the other ECIs, uh, the European Parliament also played a crucial role uh, in the success of this uh, ECI because some MEPs really um, changed their position. Um, so how did we influence this? Um, it was a long process, uh, but how did you think that certain key MEPs changed their mind? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, um I think in some ways they were a bit hesitant. Like in in my opinion, this was very similar to to the hesitancy that people have now with you know whether to get vaccinated or not vaccinated, um, and just because they were not really that well familiar with the facts. So we need to we had to present the facts to them to those that didn't know. Um, and there were many MEPs who were very involved from the very beginning. Um, they they campaigned with us. They helped us get signatures. I mean, they, it's not as if you know, MEPs are people as well, right? So if you know about the issue and if you care about it, then clearly you want to do something about it. Um, 
And uh, what happened with the others is that basically they were not very familiar with, with many of the topics. So we had to explain, we had to, you know, either organize events, send emails, um, approach them in different ways. Clearly with COVID, uh, it was a bit more difficult, but um, it was it was quite um yeah, I mean, it, it was the logical thing to do, basically, for them to support this this cause. Um, it just took some time to explain and and um, and, and talk them through um, what actually means to, to be caged. And also, I guess, um, present the solutions, right? Uh, because course. I remember the debate in the parliament where also Commissioner Wojciechowski said, OK, you know, we can use uh, the common ag- agriculture policy subsidies to help uh, farmers to transition. We also need, need to make sure that imported products comply uh, with our yeah. standards. So so I think this also helped, right, to get uh, MEPs on board. Yes, yes, clearly. I mean, we do have the tools that, um, you know, the EU can use to make this transition happen. It's not it's not out of the blue that, you know, these ideas came uh, came to our minds because, uh, you know, there is this funding available for farmers. Uh, there is this possibility to also uh, make sure that, that our standards are um, applied also for imports. I mean, it's not... Um, it's not that far away from the truth. Um, it's it's just something that helped by uh, help MEPs and other stakeholders understand that the process of the transition is very feasible. It is quite tangible, and um, all we need is basically the political will to make it happen. That's really strong. And Alexandra, did you ever doubt that you know it would succeed this ECI? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I did I did have some concerns, as I mentioned, the Bulgaria example. It was quite difficult to to get signatures there. Um, I think that was the case for many many other countries. Um, I mean, in some countries there are no requirements for ID numbers, but privacy can be a big issue for supporters. Um, and um, yeah, well, eventually this whole this it turned out perfectly fine. Um, we, despite my worries, I think everyone worries when this is something that's very close to their heart and they want this to really succeed and, and you know to 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 happen. Uh, so eventually it was it, yeah there was no need for of worrying as as some people say, but um, but it but is maybe it's uh, good yeah. to keep worrying because that keeps you sharp. True. <laughs> yeah. True. Oh, and how do the next step look like uh, now? Because the Commission has said, yes, we are going to do that. So what can we expect over the coming uh, month, uh, two years? Yeah, well, um, so basically the Commission has said yes, but that doesn't mean that we're going to have the law tomorrow, right? Uh, So this means that um, they're now working on thinking through how exactly this this proposal will work out basically what what the nitty-gritty details of this ban would be and they want to uh, propose the legislation the revised legislation for this by the end of 2023 so in a couple of years basically um, and then from then um, we'll see when the phase out would be so at the moment they're looking at a date a possible phase out date at as uh, of 2027 so um, when uh, this means that the ban would be applicable from that date Um, this is of course subject to discussion and negotiations because obviously the parliament will have a say member states will have a say Um, however um, I mean this is a date that we strongly support personally it was also supported by the European Parliament the Committee of the Regions so let's keep our fingers crossed that uh, that date will stick and by 2027, we're going to have the ban. 
Yes, indeed, indeed. So the coming years will be um, very crucial. And also, as we discussed before, Alexandra, like um, this uh, phasing out of the cages should not be a standalone issue. It should also be uh, connected to other animal welfare improvements and improvements of, of the system, uh, because we also have lots of issues with animals in non-cage systems, such as broilers. So yeah. how can we make yeah. sure that this will lead to a genuine improvement for animals? Yeah, well, we clearly need to um, to do a lot more. Uh, and um, I mean, I'm now repeating the, word, the words of the commission who, who said that uh, they know that they need to do more. So um, they, there is, um, I mean, at the moment, our system exploits animals. And uh, this also has many other repercussions that are bad for our planet or our health. Um, what we need to do is um, is to really change change our waste production methods, and um, we at Compassion World Farming has be, have been fighting against uh, for this for many many years. Like we were established over fifty year, fifty years ago with one mission to end factory farming. Cages is clearly one of the symbols of factory farming, um, and it is an ind- indispensable part of the pros- in the process of changing the way we farm. So um, let's hope that this will will start, uh, you know, start transforming the system very fast. And very soon we're going to reach to farming methods that are um, not exploiting animals and that will bring for healthier and more sustainable diets. So we still have a lot of uh, campaigning work ahead of us. Um, Now, I think the ECI also showed us uh, how powerful uh, we are as an animal protection movement. Uh, What can we learn from this experience, Alexandra? Well, uh, we can, I think we can learn that uh, if almost anything is possible if, uh, if you fight for a good cause and if you know in your heart that what you're doing is the good thing, um, eventually if you work hard enough and smart enough, um, you can make a big difference and you can actually um, improve the world. And after all, we're all, you know, all of us in the animal welfare movement are fighting for a better world, better world for animals and to make sure that... Um, you know, we leave a good legacy for the future generations. Absolutely. And uh, last but not least, what would be your message to the commissioners who delivered this fantastic result? Well, um, I have one message to them and it is thank you from the bottom of my heart. In fact, um, I mean, the, the, the commission have, uh, has done such an incredible job at uh, listening to citizens that it's, uh, it's very inspiring to see that when you're even a small you know, uh, player, um, you can, your voices can be heard. And it's, uh, it's good to know that EU democracy and decision making um, is working. And it's actually, um, it's, it's quite uh, rewarding to, to know that you can have actually an impact in, in uh, the way politics are decided. So in a nutshell, yes, thank you very much, Commission. You've been great. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. That's great. And um, I think uh, that indeed this political leadership uh, gives us a lot of hope. Uh, for the future. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Alexandra. It was great to talk to you and I look forward to keep fighting together. Thanks so much. Thank you, Reineke. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you would like to learn more about the successful and the KHH European Citizens Initiative, 
which has now made history, please visit andthekh.eu. And thank you to everyone who made this huge success happen. The next step is to ensure that the European Commission will thoroughly review the animal welfare legislation. So please sign our petition at noanimalleftbehind.eu to help ensure the animal voices are heard. Thanks for listening to Animals in Europe. You can find our podcast catalog on our website, eurogroupforanimals.org. You can also subscribe to the Animals in Europe podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Join us next time as we build together a Europe that cares for animals.